Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So welcome along to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Byrne, and I'm delighted to be joined today by one of Ireland's most beloved fighters. As an amateur, he won an Olympic bronze in 1980, and as a professional, he won the British title at two separate weights, bantamweight, flyweight. In the run-up to the Michael Conlon versus TJ Donton showdown at Falls Park in Belfast on August the 6th, we're looking back at great Irish derbies, rivalries of the past, and this man was involved in one, in not one, but two epics for the ages. He is, of course, Huey Russell. Welcome to the show, Hugh. Thanks very much, Kevin. Great to have you. Now, Hugh, as you grew up in Belfast, getting to know Davy Larmer as a young lad, did you ever think that you'd end up fighting him one day? No, I mean, uh, there'd be a wee bit of a needs difference between me and Davy. I mean, Davy Larmer was, uh, I boxed out of the Holy Family gym, which was down in New Lodge. And Davy Larmer would have been the, the senior champion back then, the Ulster senior champion and the Irish senior champion. And uh, I suppose I, I would have still been a juvenile when he would come in. I would have got in, not sparred with him, but he would have taken you around when you went, went around and punched his stomach. And, but he would never hit you back. He was just a man where we were only kids. But uh, to find yourself uh, in the ring with maybe someone that you looked up to was, was very strange and very, very daunting at the time. Yeah, no doubt. And you, you both came from different sides of the divide in Belfast. How much do you think did that play into the rivalry for the public? I, I think the public made more of it than what we did. I mean, we're talking about when we fought. Uh, I mean, when David Larmer was training in the Holy Family, it was during the seventies, which was sort of the really hard years of his troubles. When we fought, uh, we fought in the early eighties, which was, was which was hard enough. But I, I don't think there was ever any sort of bigotry, religious bigotry behind either me or him, because we would have known each other as friends and as sort of boxers all the years of our lives. Uh, but uh, I think, I think just because maybe I came from a national side and he came from the unionist side, and uh, it was for one of the biggest fights that people still talk about. I think the the sectarian side of it, the people sort of bump up a wee bit, but I don't really think that would have been terribly true. I mean, the night that uh, the Ulster Hall was packed, there was no, there was no sort of division within the hall. There may have been different people squealing for different people. But, I mean, there was no trouble outside of the ring. The only fight that was done was done inside the ring that night. Yeah, absolutely. Now, your first fight with David Armour took place uh, 20 years on from a fight that's kind of known as the greatest Irish derby of all time. Um, 
the October 1962 meeting of Freddie Gilroy and Johnny Caldwell at the King's Hall of Belfast, a fight that's even now, you know, casts a shadow over everything else. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I've seen footage of it, but I've never, I don't think, I don't think you can pass comment on a fight realistically unless you're in the hall. You know what I mean? The best fight I think i ever seen would probably be Tommy Hearns and Martin Hangler, but I watched it on television. You know, it was three months hell. You know, but what it must have been like to watch it in, in the arena. But yes, uh, Gilroy Codwell, they, they talked about it. I, I think the whole thing about it is, the thing about it, it's, it's local. It's very hard to get local people into the ring together. And in boxing nowadays, I mean, the hardest thing about boxing now is getting two people into the ring to, to negotiate terms. We do that. We see that all the time. I mean, all the big fights that we want to see. I mean, we very, very rarely see them when those two people are in their prime. We'll have Manny Opacio, we'll have all these people. And to get them in with the one that you want to see them fighting with, it's nearly impossible. To get two local kids in is probably, is probably as hard, you know, because uh, they're, they're both sort of living off the same people. Yeah, and you're talking about bragging rights and nobody wants to go in and give the other guy any adv- any advantage. So if you're on the slide, you don't want to fight the up-and-comer because the chances are you'll lose and, you know, he'll get bragging rights for the rest of your days in the, lo- in the locale that you grew up in as well. Like, I guess when they went to the 1956 Olympics, Freddie Gilroy and John Caldwell probably never thought in their wildest dreams they'd end up fighting each other, you know, just six years later. Yeah, the thing about it is they were different. We had one was a fly, we had a mom was a bantamweight. And to be quite truthful, that's that's nearly the exact same thing as myself because uh, although I was fortunate enough to win a bantamweight title, I mean, I was never a bantamweight. I was always a flyweight. All my successes was a flyweight. I mean, I'd been to the Commonwealth Games, medaled at the Commonwealth Games at flyweight. I'd went to the Olympics, medaled at flyweight. And then when I turned pro, uh, I, I you can't get fight. I couldn't get fights. It was hard to get matches at flyweight. So I ended up boxing more bantamweights than what I thought I would have had to box. And I ended up boxing that many bantamweights at the me that I won the final eliminator for the British title, which was against David Lorma. It was also for the Irish title. And we we took the fight. We took the fight, won the fight. And uh, when I won the, the bantamweight title, it was probably not the right way to go about it because we were always flyweights. We were always flyweight bound. But to get a competition, we just couldn't get it. So uh, Lorma was one of the stepping stones for me to get my first British title. Yeah, so like I'm just looking back at the Gilroy and um, Caldwell fight, and there's a good line from Caldwell. Like Caldwell loses the fight on cuts, um, but he says afterwards, he, before he died in 2009, he made a comment. He said, "We had a great, we had a great fight that night in the King's Hall. The interest was amazing, but it was a fight that I never wanted because we were so close." Um, I'm not sure yourself and obviously Davy Larmer were quite close, um, and the, the number one song at the time, October 1982. Kind of echoes that. Do you have any idea what the number one song was at the time? It's probably like nearly 40 years later. Unlikely. But what one was it? Do you really want to hurt me by the culture club? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I don't think we would have went down that line now. Uh, I, think, I think when you watch the fight and you see the blood that was in it, that, that wouldn't have been part of it. Absolutely iconic fight. Uh, can't really seem to find any footage of it, but the storylines that, that have come out of that, that fight 39 years later li- uh, live to this day. I, I, I have it on VHS. Uh, uh, Barney Eastwood, who was the manager at that stage, got all the fights. They would have been just prior to myself and McGuigan were pro at that time. and uh, But none of us had won any titles. And this was the first title that Barney was, in, was sort of involved in. 
which was is, is Aries title for the Aries bond in the title with me and Larmer with the the tie going the end of it that the winner would fight John Feeney for the for the bond in the title. And I suppose <laughs> it, it's funny when you, you think back, it was back in the days when sort of eliminators were 12 rounds, but all title fights were 15. Mm. You know, it was 15 rounds was the titles. And uh, the gloves were down to six ounces. They're, they're up to about 10 ounces now, I think. But uh, the different size in the glove and the, the, the duration of the fights was, was massive. Um, a 12-round a 12 bloodbath from, is my understanding of that fight at the Ulster Hall that night. Yeah, there was, there was, uh, I think the hardest work man in the Ulster Hall that night was Paddy Byrne, who was my cutsman. And, uh, Paddy, Paddy was absolutely brilliant at his, at his job. Both of us were very badly cut. Uh, I think I cut earlier. And, uh, I want to know, I want to know all about Paddy because Paddy's still alive. He's in Brighton and, uh, he, like 25 years later, he's Mikael Kostler, Mikael Kessler's cut man. Like Paddy was, you know, he was a cut man into his eighties and uh, he's in his nineties now. And just what made him so good? I, I only used to see his finger and his thumb, you know, it was that stuck <laughs> in the face that far, you know, uh, he was just exceptionally good. I remember going to hospital after there was cuts, maybe a couple of inches long, maybe several cuts above me and one below me eye on both sides. And the doctors, and I thought there was something seriously wrong. They just were looking at me. But what they were amazed at was that all these cuts were lying open and there was no blood coming out of them, you know? So, uh, that was, that was his, that was his game. He was six. Very hot. Yeah, I think someone said um, normally you're supposed to dilute the adrenaline one to a thousand, and he was diluting it a thousand to one. <laughs> Happy days. Yeah, well, I don't know what it was, but it certainly worked. So um, you, you came into that fight, you were 8-0 oh in less than a year. Larmer was a little bit more inactive. He'd kind of fought once in uh, 81, once in 82. And how did how did the fight go? Like 12 was it? Did you did you feel you dominated? The points were the points at the end were quite close. I, it was, I think it was, uh, people always remember for the blood and the amount of blood. And uh, I am involved in, on the board of boxing now, and my son's a referee. And I give him the line one time, I said, look, professional boxing, if if, the, uh, if they get cut, give them a chance. I said, because if I was stopped every time that I cut, yeah. I don't want nothing. You know, uh, but when I look back at some of the, the footage of it and some of the photographs of it, I, I personally don't think would let any fighter get into that state nowadays. You know, it, it was uh, it was very close to the line of sort of brutality because I mean the poor referee he was covered from head to toe in blood. You know, and uh, all he was doing was trying to split us up. But uh, at the end of the day, the, the two of us uh, came out of it, and I think we we came out of it really not that scarred that much, but uh, I'm still friends. So Mike Jacobs, the referee, there's a great story about him. He, you know, he goes back to London and he puts his, uh, he puts his referee's shirt into the, the tumble dryer, into the dry cleaners. And he ends up getting a note. The dry cleaner reports him to the detectives and he has to report to the police station. And they kind of like, oh, you've come back from Belfast. Why is your shirt covered in blood? And he's, he has to make a phone call to the British Boxing Border Control to say that he was a referee at his absolute Belfast bloodbath. Yeah, I heard that. I mean, if I had took that shirt off, the first place I'd have put it was in the bin, you know, because yeah. I don't think anything when I got rid of it. I mean, the, the pictures of the shirt, uh, sort of, the referee was nearly as domineering as the fighters. The blood was all over us, but uh, his shirt was was crazy. Uh, but uh, it, it, it's nice to see the people still talk about it. And uh, it, it was good, and it was never, 
the decision was never questioned. It's always good if you're in a contest that is iconic like that and it's never been questioned that somebody else should have won it. Uh, I think uh, I think I was younger at the time and I think that probably stayed by me, you know, but Davey was maybe three, four or five years older than me. And you guys were, um, you know, you guys were working men. You'd worked on the docks. You ended up working as a photographer. Davey was a, was a taxi man and he drove you to the hospital that night. Yeah, I, I, I had no license. I mean, I remember, and uh, Nelson Hall, I don't even think, had showers. You know, I mean, I don't think we showers. So we just, we got sort of dried down with our towels and obviously I needed to go to the hospital and Larmer needed to go to the hospital too. And uh, so he, he said, you went up and I says, yes. He says, jump and he says, now I take you. So I jumped in with him and we both went to the hospital together in his car. And the doctor comes in and says, who did this to you? <laughs> he did. Well, yeah, well, there was there was actually a case of uh, when we were lying, getting stitched. I was lying, getting stitched. There was somebody squealing in the next cubicle. I didn't know it was Larmer at the time. He squeals different than what I thought he was going to squeal. But he was getting his ears trained because Dave's ears had sort of cauliflowered and sort of he was getting them sort of drained and stitched up. And this nurse says to me, well, what helped you? I says, I was in a fight. I was fighting. And she says, who were you fighting with? And I says, the guy in the next cubicle. And when I said that, she really got worried. Because I don't, she didn't realize we were two boxers, you know, and she went away off and on, on to us. She was calling all sorts of security guards to come back into the any sort of emergency. But uh, it, was, it was funny when we thought back on it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Because you hear of, I think, Mickey Ward and Arturo Rogatti sharing a hospital bedroom or sharing a hospital room, you know, after one of their wars as well. And I guess it shows the uniqueness of boxing where you can knock, you know, seven bells every each other yeah. for 12 rounds and then share a taxi and a hotel and a hospital room as well. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you see it all the time. No matter how tough a fight is, I mean, the first thing usually happens after the fight is when the two guys put their arms around each other and sort of hug and sort of, it's it's over. The business is over, getting back to real life now. And it's we all know it's a, it's a very, very dangerous sport, you know, and uh, those fights, uh, as great as they are to watch, and it's great that people still talk about, you've only so many of those fights in you. You, you yeah. can't walk about and keep your heels on the ground. Uh, you have too many of those fights, you know, you don't, it's nice to please people sometimes, but you don't have to please people all the time. Yeah, I see that this, so the schedule, you fought Davy Larmer twice, it went one all, and the first fight was in October 1982, second fight in March 1983. Normally, if, if guys are going to fight each other and have a rematch, that's enough time to kind of have the first one, go the distance, rest, recuperate, maybe get Christmas out of the way, and then go again in March. But not Hugh Russell. In that, in the meantime, you went, uh, You've beaten George Bailey, Juan Francisco Rodriguez, and won the British title against John Feeney. You've done 25 rounds in between. Yeah, uh, I think the, the big mistake, of, uh, uh, I'm not saying mistake because uh, I was a young kid, you know, the biggest mistake I've ever fought was when, we, when me and Dave fought the second time we fought in the King's Hall. And that was the first time that uh, Oxenhut came back to the King's Hall and me and David Larmer topped the bill. And it, then you're to, then that's a load of people were still talking about the great fight in the Ulster Hall about the Codwell mm. uh, connection, Codwell fight back in the King's Hall. Um, when we, me and Larmer got back into the King's Hall, that's where this fight was going. So that's when all these talk was, this is going to be another Codwell Gilroy fight. And it, it never really took off. Well, it certainly didn't take off for me because uh, realistically, I mean, I had fought John Feeney and won the British title and I fought John Feeney over 15 rounds. And I suppose you're a, you're a young lad and you think you can walk through walls at that stage, you know, and 
uh, we got the fight, and the fight was very close to the Feeney fight. It was less than it was less than thirty days. I think it was about twenty seven days or so. And uh, to take a fight on after fighting fifty rounds probably just wasn't. I certainly wasn't going to be at the best. But yeah, you live and you learn. But it did. It done me a good turn because then at that after after I'd lost the title, uh, I think because it'd been beaten, then uh, I got a crack at the flyweight title because uh, obviously the champion had seen me being beaten, thought, well, he's not as good as we thought he was. Yeah. And I fought Calvin Smart and took the title of Calvin Smart. Yeah, story is all this time, that isn't it? Putting in a performance that, you know, gets gets someone else's attention. And before you know it, you've taken something off them. Um, did you, so you felt, gen- did you feel generally um, that the buzz in Belfast, the kind of derby crackle, the anticipation was bigger for the rematch? This was This was a significant major fight. Yeah, I think I think that uh, I think as much as the talk was about the venue as yeah. is what about the sacrifice. The the big fight, the the one that people talk about, uh, I still think is the one in Ulster Hall. I like to think that because that's the one I won, you know. But uh, I, I think that's the one when they talk about the fight. It's it's, it's the one where the blood was and all the uh, all. And there again, I mean, the Ulster Hall out of all the venues that have fought in all around the world. Ulster Hall is although the Kings Hall gets in there, but the Ulster Hall is is an amazing, amazing venue. I mean, back then, I, I think I don't know, there probably been near, nearly two thousand people in it. Then. You know, and two thousand people, and maybe eighteen hundred of them smoking. You know, yeah. I remember the, the opening the door, and it sounds very old, but you delight above the ring, and you had no television lights then. Uh, we talk about that fight wasn't televised. And you delight above the ring, hanging in the sort of in the apron, and there was this just cloud of smoke. You nearly had to cut your way through this to get into the ring, and then you were fighting twelve rounds, you know. So uh, it, you just wouldn't be doing it nowadays. Yeah. Uh, did you? How confident were you going back into the rematch with Larmer? You'd beat him the first time. I think going back into the rematch with Larmer, I probably was at a part of my career where I thought I could beat anybody. Mm. I thought I could beat anybody. I mean, I was in the early twenties and. I'd won the British Ultimate title. I'd stopped, I'd stopped John Feeney. I'd already beaten Davy Larmer. Uh, I thought it would be easier to beat him the second time than what I beat him the first time. Uh, what I didn't realize on that, I don't think my body had as much energy in it that what it needed to, to go back and fight another title fight. He could hit. He caught you with some right hands, knocked you down yeah. in the fifth round. Yeah. What do you remember about going down? Yeah, uh, I tell the boys to slip, but it didn't. Uh, <laughs> it's... Uh, I went, I went down, took a knee, but uh, and just waited. And I mean, Dave, Dave was always a very bullish wee fighter, you know. Uh, I think what was going to get me out of out of jail fighting David Larmer was probably my skills and my boxing ability. Whereas Larmer would have been more known for sort of rough and tumble, you know. It would, I mean, I think boxers have got uh, more stylish as even now. I mean, if you look at the kids that are fighting now, they're more stylish. You know, I mean, the Michael Conlins that are fighting pro now, and even the Carter Fromptons, there's a more boxing skill in them. Whereas, as you watch the older footage of fighters and go back to the era that we're talking about, you, you had somebody who just liked to get in and stand toe to toe. That's the kind of guy that Lord was. He, he caught me a couple times. And yes, of course, I went down. And, uh, but I don't think, uh, in a perfect world, if I was doing it again, I'd ever select that fight. At that stage, I certainly would have fought him again. Uh, but I don't think I would have fought him as early as I needed to fight him after fighting John Finney. Yeah. Uh, 
was it a heartbreaker to lose it? Like, was there was there personal pride? Uh, was there person were you humiliated or were you embarrassed or were you just uh, perfect sportsman saying, "Look, you win some, you lose some. We we move on." I don't think he ever said you win some, you lose some in my life. Uh, uh, anytime I got beat, it was yes. And Boris is probably a very close word that people don't use because I felt sorry for people, everybody. I felt sorry for a whole lot of people, but never felt sorry for myself. Uh, because the people didn't realize, I mean, the amount of sort of input that people put into lives and people that are behind you, should be your family, your coaches, uh, and so your partners, even, uh, to let you do what you do and be brutally honest. I mean, Nothing came first. It had to be everything was boxing. Uh, everything else was put on the shelf till till the extent that I mean, even when you're growing up. I mean, I, I was a nice little champion from when I was eleven. So I mean, your education, everything on that line suffered. I mean, all these kids now are boxing. I mean, when you see them, uh, they're coming up through schools. They're ten. They're eleven. They're they're in the gym three four nights a week. When they're in the gym three four nights a week, something has to has to suffer. And you'll find that uh, sometimes it's it's what they give up in their lives. That people never see. For the ones that succeed, it's worth it and worth it dead easy. But there's a, there's a lot of people give up a lot of things that uh, maybe it needs to look at. It's it's a big big ask. Yeah, it's it's why it can be it can be really tough to see somebody losing the Olympic Games or something when you when you kind of now I'm not a I'm not a top elite athlete myself, but you kind of get on the periphery, you gain a bit of an understanding for what these athletes go through. So when you see someone eliminated, maybe on a tough score and um, verdict or an injury at the Olympics, you're kind of heart breaks for them when you, cause you understand, you know, everything they've gone through, everything they sacrificed, all the social occasions they've missed and just everything that they've put into this, uh, this journey to get to the, yeah. try and get to the top. Yeah. You, you, without being funny, people think they understand, but the the athlete's the one that that goes in. He's the one that hurts every day. When you when you get up after after the the first alarm or fight, you're lying in bed. You get up the next morning. I remember the only thing that moved was my eyelids. My eyelids opened and I couldn't get off the bed. You're you're sort of in bits. You're just you're bruised everywhere. You know you're I hit you're you're passing blood when you're going to the loo for four or five days after most of these fights because you're getting body shots around everywhere and mm. it's. It's that side of the game and the hard side of the game that people don't see. And uh, I mean, and the other side of it is when you're coming up to the fights, the closer you get to the fight, you're, you're doing one of the one of the hardest things in boxing would probably be doing weight, making weight. And when you're making weight, you're just a different person. You're just a different person. You know, you're not you're not a nice person. I've never seen anybody doing weight in the life that's nice. You know, they're... Uh, Eddie Barnes was always very charming when he's trying to make weight. <laughs> Patrick? Uh, no. Yeah, but... He's, uh, he's, a, he's a different kettle of face. You, um, from the first fight with Larmy, you got that special photograph of you and your mother Eileen kind of celebrating after the win. But how, how do you feel when you look at that photograph? It's hanging on the wall at the minute. Mm. Uh, that, the guy who took it, Brendan Murphy, mm. uh, used to be picture editor of the Irish News. And that's who took me under his wing. And I ended up serving the time with Brendan. And then, as you know, I'm now working professionally in the Irish news for the last 38 years. But uh, so, I mean, it's funny the way life pans out for you, but uh, I think you just have to be very careful. And uh, you're getting back to what the original question was, was it disappointed when Larmer beat me? Yes, of course, it was disappointed. But it, it probably opened up a lot of sort of doors that wouldn't have been opened as easily if I hadn't have been big. 
Yeah, actually, I'm just looking at the. I have a jot down the movies that were number that were released in a sort of a movie that was released in October 1982 is First Blood. So it was First Blood, First Blood to Huey Russell, Rambo, and uh, in in 83 March you had uh, the Meaning of Life by uh, Monty Python. So you're, I suppose you can come out with a more philosophical viewpoint after losing your British title to uh, your local rival. Yeah, I mean uh, the hardest part about losing the British title was giving up your Lonsdale belt. You know, and it was it was the big bit uh, because I mean I think even to this day that the Lonsdale belt is probably one of the most sought after trophies in a boxer. And I'll be quite true, but it's very very hard to win one now because you get once you win a British title, European title, they usually sort of uh, give you a world title, and then once you get nominated for world title, you have to relinquish your British title. So it's very very hard to. Uh, the winner, as long as you can see mine behind me, over my head, and over in this by Zoom. But, uh, I mean, Gilroy uh, won, a, won a belt, and he was the last belt to win anybody in sort of the north of Ireland won a British title belt outright, and I won mine. So they're, they're not, they're not, there's not that many in the light. I think there's only four of us have ever won them. Uh, the same way as, as you go down Olympic medals. Uh, I mean, there, there always was a big gap between them there. It's, it's very yeah. small. To be in. Neil Sinclair has a British title left, right, doesn't he? And uh, yeah, Derek, Ro- Derek Roach from Wexford, I think, has one, man. No, Sam Story. Sam Story. Oh, yeah, from Belfast. Derek Roach has one as well, though, uh, Lonsdale outright, I, doesn't he? I don't think so. I don't think so. He's, where's he from? Wexford. Uh, Leeds, Wexford. He's in Leeds now. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Uh, maybe. I've, I recently would that be. Sinclair knocked him out to win his. So I think, you know, started 2000s, 2002, yeah. three, something like that. So, yeah. Well, I know well, locally. Yeah, no, locally, absolutely. Yeah, few and far between. Yeah. Um, yeah, like it's just how, like I always, well, I always want to see James Tennyson against Anto Kukacha, you know, around similar weights. I always thought that yeah. would be an incredible kind of uh, sequel to, you know, your fight with Davey Larmer. Hopefully one yeah. day. Yeah, it's it's getting different management teams now mm. together to get the fights into the ring. The people would like. There's great local fights out there. There is. There's great local fights out there. I mean, even to the extent that when Conlon was coming up and sort of uh, Frompton was coming up, you know, okay, they're probably far enough away in each other's careers, but certainly no farther away than what me and David Larmer were. Yeah, you know. So I mean, fights can be made, uh, but it's good. It's good to see if you can get. I think it draws a lot of attention and people do like to see two guys fighting that they know both. It's funny because when that kind of clash between Michael Connell and, and Carl Frampton was, was spoken about a few years ago, Bob Arum discussed maybe doing it. Um, it, met, it met with a lot of hostility on social media. Where people saying that it wouldn't be good for Belfast at this time, that it wouldn't, it wouldn't do the people any favours to have a kind of cross-community fight between two, I guess, kind of local idols. And yet... At the beginning of the eighties, a more troubled times, a more troubled time. Hugh Russell took on Davy Larmer twice in the space of a couple of months. I, I think there again, and maybe I'm looking at it through different sets of eyes. I think when me and Larmer fought, people wanted to see Hugh Russell fighting Davy Larmer. The, the the religion said, and the same as Michael Conlon. I think of people. Michael Conlon was to fight uh, Card Frampton if it ever had a came off. Okay, Carl Frampton's from Tigers Bay makes no qualms about that. He's quite open about it. Michael Conlon's from uh, the Falls Road, and he makes no qualms about that. But uh, I think in the fight, how it got into the ring, what people would have wanted to see was who's the best out of the two of them. 
you know, they were they were probably at each of the different sides of each other's career. Carl was probably coming towards the end of his career, and Michael was probably still coming up. But uh, it would have been a great fight to see. And uh, different people have different opinions on who would have won it. But uh, I think uh, I think the the religion side of it is probably overplayed. I, I think more people would have bought into the fight because they wanted to see two local guys that they know don't exceptionally well in world stages, and they would have liked to see the two of them fight each other. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I suppose that ship has sailed. But Michael Conlon will take on another IBF, former IBF World Super Bantamweight Champion when he meets uh, TJ Doheny. That's a very, that's an intriguing fight. Uh, Conlon's toughest test, Dohany out of the ring since before the pandemic when he lost to Baluta, who Conlon beat in his last outing. Uh, but that was a different TJ, I think, that time. He he wasn't really prepared for an eight-rounder, probably overlooked the guy. You know, he's fighting a Romanian journeyman in Dubai. He probably thought, okay, I'll get through this and then on to the big money fights. He gets shocked and now he's kind of coming back and it feels like he's all, all of a sudden scrambling to save his boxing career. But it's a, it's a big night at Falls Park in Belfast. And one thing is for sure, TJ, TJ Doheny, even though it's his Irish debut, he will not be intimidated. That guy doesn't do intimidate. The thing, the thing about it is when you're at that part of your career, I mean, you're a very dangerous fighter. You know, because you've, when I say you've nothing to loss, you have everything to loss. Uh, Conlon will go in and uh, he'll go in, I would dare say, heavy favourite. Certainly in the crowd, he'll be heavy favourite because it's, it's probably about, quarter of a mile from where he used to live, where his parents' house used to be. Mm. But so he'd go in a big, big, massive favourite. There'd be lots of noise. But TJ knows. I mean, he's fought in that kind of sort of cauldron before. I mean, when he won his world title, it was a very, very hard world title to win. He went, he won it abroad. And uh, there's not many Irish fighters do that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it. I think it'll probably be one of the times when Michael Conlon will probably have to perform better than what we've ever seen him before. Uh, I'm certainly hoping. I think he's hoping that. And, I mean, either way, whoever comes out of this fight, it, it will open major doors for them on the world scene. Yeah, it looks like the winner is going to be kind of cast into a world title shot end of the year, early next year. Um, I see both guys going for the assault here. Like I can see TJ Dohany trying to really quieten the crowd. Uh, you know, partisan Belfast crowd, even though it's a derby. It's in his opponent's hometown. And like you say, a quarter mile from his residence or his is where he grew up. Dohany's going to have a section of the support. So even though it's an Irish derby, it's not, was the, was the crowd split? Do you think for your fights with Larmer? Was it kind of 50, 50 or you were, you were probably the people's champ. Were you, Hugh? you were the up and comer. Eight and oh for the first one. I think I would have been young kid, young kid coming through. And Dave, I hate to say, probably would have been the lad who'd, done everything that I'd done. He'd been in the Olympics, he'd been in the Europeans, he'd carried the national flag, he'd done all that. But he was he was at sort of the, the, the second set of letters in his career. And I'll be quite truthful, people only want to touch themselves, the winners. I mean, in this game, I mean, as long as you're winning, people will be behind you. When you get beat, I mean, they, they won't want to know you. 
I mean, I, I, I beat John Feeney for, uh, for the bottom of the title. And, uh, my dressing room in, in the Ulster Hall that night was, was, you couldn't have got in that. It was more in the dressing room, what was it, the fights. And I think it was 27 days later, I fought David Armour, defended against David Armour, was beat. And there was four people in my dressing room. And if you look at four, four people. And if you look at the dates, I think it was nearly till a year to the day, the exact date, a year later, I won the I won the fly the title back. And all those people that were in the first time were all back. You know, so you you you, you learn. You do learn, you know, it's but people just want to be with success. And uh it's in boxing, people, especially now, especially now, uh, I think fighters get rid of if you're beat once, you're nearly people will write you off. They don't give you a chance. You know, it's such a fast, it's such a fast elevator. You want to push people through from from sort of being a national champion, and then the next thing is you're fighting for European title, and then they're talking about world titles. Whereas uh, it used to have a bit of time that you were allowed to do stuff, but now you're you're pushed to if you don't make it, you're off the rule, and somebody back on the on the letter trying to get up there too. Yeah, and that's probably where TJ comes into this fight. Like we say, coming in off a loss up against the hometown favorite, but he can really spin his career on its axis by beating Michael Conlon if he can do so. Uh, and we've seen him in a unification fight with Ro- uh, Roman, da- Danny Roman um, in the United States there the other year. He can fight at the top level and he can hang with the best. He can knock people, he can knock powerful men down. He can, you know, he can win away. Like we said, he won his world title in Tokyo. Only the second Irish man to do so after Wayne McCullough uh, back in 1995. So TJ is, TJ's a serious contender and Michael Conlon's going to have to be on, on his game. I was talking to Michael. I think he sounds like he's going to take a very violent approach, wants to stop him to the body, wants to do this, wants to do that. So if Conlon can get through the test, then, you know, he's on the up and up and he's going to have the full dressing room. But if he, he's going to know, he's going to have to have that danger in his, in the back of his mind. Like if I lose, where do I go? I think all fighters, if they're truthful with themselves, that's what you have to be. I mean, uh, DJ's win in Tokyo was massive. I don't think anybody would have expected him to go out and win that fight. He certainly was was a, was an underdog. So, I mean, he, he's probably coming into this fight very similar to the way people are thinking about it. He's coming here. I don't think anybody, certainly in the north of this this island, expects Michael Conlon to get beat. Or anybody, I would say 70% of the people don't expect Conlon to get beat. But uh, if anybody's going to do this, lad's a very strong kid. You, you can't under overlook him. You know, you have to give him every piece of respect that he needs. Because at the end of the day, I mean, when you get in there and the bell rings, you need to perform. And it's not all the time that your body does this. I mean, you just have to be very careful the way you do it. And styles make fights, as mm-hmm. we all know. Styles make fights. And on paper, this should be a wing-dinger. Like, you know, it's, it's they're not going to stand looking for each other. You know, no. I think I think they'll find each other very quick. You know, yeah. and uh, it'll be as much who goes to the well uh, and how many times you can go to the well. We'll see that. But I'm really looking forward to it. And, I'll just keep my fingers crossed that the rain stays up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you want to bring yourself a rain jacket. And um, like T, I noticed TJ, like he's watching him his whole career. TJ is doing 12 round fights since his fifth outing. You know, he's had 24 contests now. So he's he's war ready. Michael Conlon started to move up the ranks now, started to move to the, la- to the later rounds, put in more convincing displays in his last few fights. So it's, a, it's all set up to be a mini classic. And uh, I think I've made up a very rudimentary top five of Irish boxing derbies. You and David Larmer make it in, of course. Um, you've got Caldwell and Gilroy. Absolutely, they go in. 
Um, so there's two more, two more spots uh, that are there for there and waiting. Have you got any ideas about who could fight? You know, derby fights that have taken place uh, among two Irish boxers or two in the, from the same city that would kind of slot in there. Any to you know from the tip of your memory? Yeah, well, as I said before, I mean, you, you had you the like of uh, you have to get them in the same era. The thing about it is that the if it's gonna if it's gonna work, it, uh, the two of them have to be coming through. I think at the same time, it's it's like would Muhammad Ali be sort of Rocky Marciano? You can yeah. throw different permutations and like, but that that just doesn't happen because it's different eras. Uh, what I will say, we, we you talked about uh, TJ fighting twelve rounds on a. I think kids now are certainly a lot better sort of uh, conditioned, uh, and you don't have a fighter now. You have a whole team. You know, I had a guy that Paddy Byrne done the cuts. Eddie Shaw gave me my water, and Barney's who was paying my money, so he was hanging in the ropes, getting see what see what we're doing. Now they have so psychologists, they have nutrition, they have everything. So they are they're they're fitter and they're better than what people used to be. They have to be, and that goes right down the line. I think in all sports, and I think boxing is one of the sports that you can't sort of. But a put a line at. I mean, if you go and use like the top sportsmen now, we'll go to the Olympics. People are running faster, jumping higher, and jumping longer. But in, in boxing, you just can't do that because there's no line. You know that's why you still have the arguments in the pubs. Yeah, mm. sort of. Uh, Marciano would have been Dolly, you know, and all oh, Joe Frazier would have been the two of them. But you don't have that line because you you don't have well heat on this and heat on that. You, you, it's just purely uh, the the guts and who yeah. had the but here's a fight that could have done with a trilogy they fought in the amateurs they fought in the professionals but then they kind of they matured and they became better fighters in the years that followed picked up a lot of success but didn't ultimately get it on a third time so steve collins sammy story march 1988 they met in the boston garden for the irish middleweight title collins won a ud after 10 rounds he got revenge for an amateur defeat to sammy story and we know we know the success they both went on to to achieve you know in the in the in the late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s, like Sammy Story wins the inaugural British super middleweight title. Collins, two weight world champion, WBO, um, beats Eubank twice, Ben twice. Like a, a third fight there would have been a real clincher. Uh, would have been a real experiment to see, you know, who picked up more from the first one. But that has to go into the top five of Irish Derbies, I think. It never happened. Uh, and it's like everything else. I mean, Stevie Collins is probably one of the most under-talked Irish fighters ever. I mean, when you see the when we talk just off the top of our tongues of the company that he, he was in with, he was in with, that was, they talk about the trilogy of Duran, sort of Leonard Hagler, that era. Back then you had Ben, you had them all, you had Steve Collins, you had a trilogy within Europe that, and they fought each other numerous times. You know, uh, I, I think Stephen probably fought in better company than what Sam did, uh, but it would have been great to see them in there. I mean, it would have been a massive, sort of local interest anyway. Absolutely. And finally, I'll, I'll round it out with Willie Casey against um, Paul Highland at the UL Arena in November 2010. European Super Bantamweight title was on the line. First time two Irishmen have contested the European title. Um, so it gets in, it has to get in just on the basis of that alone. And a good fight, which Casey won in the fourth round and went yeah. on to fight Guillermo Rigondeau as well. Yeah, and a, a lot of people expected Highland to do very well with that fight. Uh, but it was a great scrap. I was at that, and uh, it was it was a great fight. But there again, yeah, I think the more time we can get people into the ring together that we know, uh, the local, the more local. We don't need to go sort of the other side of the world 
to get a good fight. There's there's probably better fights two streets down from you if you can get the two. True. Well, that's the that's the beauty of the amateurs, isn't it? Because you get to see the best taking on the best from the same street or the same county, the same country. And that's why I always love going to the elite finals, seeing who is the best. Like, I mean, even now you see Aiden Walsh at the Olympics doing doing really well, but who's the best welterweight in Ireland? We, you know, every year the, the beauty is we get to find out. And who's the, we didn't send a middleweight to the Olympics this year. Who is the best? We, we'll find out again next year at the elite championships. Sometimes in the professionals, I'm reluctant to see the fights happen because maybe just working in sports writing or whatever, you get to know them and you know what a loss will mean to one of them and you don't really want to see. So an example I can think of is they're talking about a Spike O'Sullivan versus Dennis Hogan fight. And I really don't want to see either guy lose. I kind of felt the same with Andy Lee, Macklin a few years back. Yeah. And it's probably the same with Dohany, uh, Conlon. One then's going to have to be the, the lonely guy, you know, Hugh Russell in the dressing room with four, four members of his team. And he's, yeah. you know, he's all alone with his thoughts and his career has to be pulled up again. So, you know, someone's got to lose. Yeah, but that's I the think, beauty. Yeah, there again, the fighter has to be very honest with themselves too at that stage. I mean, if you get beat, uh, I mean, I would say PJ was to get beat at this side of his career. He, he doesn't have a lot sort of more doors to go to. Whereas if Conlon gets beat, uh, as disturbing it would be for the team, he, he probably has a couple more doors he can still open because he hasn't been down that line yet. So, uh, I would just always say, I think what the fighters need to be is they need to be honest with themselves. I mean, I, I the biggest decision I ever probably made in boxing was walking away from it. Because when I walked away from boxing, I was, I was British flyweight champion, undefeated, and I, I left the game as a champion. And I still think to this day that people remember you for maybe your last two contests. Uh, so, I mean, I would... Carl Fronten, I thought, had a beautiful career and a great career. I wouldn't have liked to see Fronten going on and getting beat by kids that didn't deserve to beat him. I thought he had a perfect career. He just got out of it at the right time. And the more fighters that do that, it, it keeps their credibility and it certainly keeps their health. I just thought of something, actually. Uh, <laughs> a, a link that, that puts you with the, with everybody else. So we've mentioned five Irish starbers now, including Conlon and Donny. So of the four that have taken place, Hugh Russell, you retired with a win behind you. Willie Casey retired with a win. Freddie Gilroy retired with a win, and Steve Collins retired with a win. So you know it can happen. It's it's not a bad full stop. So it's not. You and Davey are still good friends. Yes, yes, we, I, I still see him in the town, and uh, people still shout at us. And uh, I mean, it's surprising how many times, sort of, in an ordinary day, that people stop and say. I remember that fight, and I mean, it's 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 what it's nearly it's nearly forty years ago, it's yeah. thirty one years ago. But uh, it's nice, it's nice that people remember the fight, and they they still talk about the fight. But as we said earlier on, there's never any mention of it was uh, you from there or him from there. You know, what I mean, no. it, was always, it was just it was a fight that, that people enjoyed. Uh, I probably enjoyed the first one. I wouldn't say, it, but, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but it's probably it's probably a nice way. It's probably a nice way to go, you know, but uh, it's it's just nice to think that people uh, still take time to think of you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're, you're linked together through boxing like uh, like so many greats from the past. But look, Hugh Russell, it's been, or, or do you ever get called Little Red? I, I feel like I'd be kind of being rude almost to call you Little Red now because you're well, all grown maybe, up. Maybe a lot of years ago, not so yeah. much now, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's not as much red there as what used to be. Yeah. But uh, it, it, it's nice that people sort of, and it probably, I know we go on, it's probably down to the, the, the state that 
I mean, when, when we when I was boxing at the Olympics and boxing professional, there was no there was no Sky Television. There was none of that. So everybody was seeing you on the two channels that we had: BBC mm. One and TV. They were the two channels. Everybody had them. So if you were uh, all the papers. I mean, there was no podcasts like this. There was no social media. So everything that people seen was all through the media. So it was easier to, to pick up. Everybody was seeing it. So it probably got you a very, very high profile uh, than what probably you would have got nowadays. Yeah, well, like it's still benefiting because people, I'm sure you go to the fights today and you're still meeting a lot of people that want to talk about it. And like you say, your, your name is inextricably linked with Davy Larmers all these years later, probably will be for the rest of your days and that's a great legacy to have left from from such a fight or such a double double fight or two fights yeah well, i mean when people say people usually say gilroy cobble russell Larmer, yeah. uh, and uh, i always I mean the, the gilroy cobble fight was outside of my era but as a kid i always remember people talking about it so it, it's great to think you'd even be mentioned in the same breath and hopefully Condon Dohany one day will uh, will be such a classic that people will talk about it in such breaths as well. Yeah. Hey Russell, thank you very much for joining us today on the Rocky Road. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much, Kevin. Thank you. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.